Hey there, I'm Tyler, the author and host of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale. The original recording of this episode wasn't quite adequate enough, so I've re-recorded it and labeled it with the term Redux. It's a true workhorse of an episode now, and believe me, it's much better than it was. Enjoy. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale contains content not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale Chapter 7 The Saga of the Tin Woodman Part 2 As the morning finally approached, the sun rose, and the sky began to turn blue once again. Nicholas listened to the forest, the sounds of the trees shifting and moving, slowing until they came to an eventual stop. It was safe now, or as safe as it was going to be anyway. He slung his satchel over his shoulder and grabbed his axe as he walked out the door. He walked slowly, but with a purposeful stride to the edge of the forest. He was not one to fear the forest, especially in the daylight, but today... He felt somehow different about it. He looked into the trees and hesitated a little before pushing ahead. Beatrice! He cried out as he traversed the forest floor. There was no answer, but he did not let that stop him from his search. The forest in the day was not particularly scary. In fact, it was a nice place. The leaves were always green, the temperature was always warm but not hot, and the animals, while timid, were pretty and majestic. Nicholas came across the occasional squirrel, and the birds were always chirping. He even met with a small gumpling. Gumps were strange elk-like creatures, with massive antlers on their otherwise small heads. They were large, and carried themselves with great pride. They were relatively harmless, non-violent creatures, if not a little imposing upon first sight. A gump in the forest was nothing unusual. It was their natural habitat, after all. Still, a young one, all alone, was a bit of a strange sight. Mother gumps were known for being overprotective and clingy. Nicholas watched as it chased a leaf blowing by, oblivious to the world and its potential dangers. He recalled being a child and being so oblivious himself at one time. Beatrice! he cried out once more, again with no response. He had been searching for hours now, and was beginning to feel that he would never find his wife. Worse yet, 
never find out what happened to her. Further into the forest, he came across a piece of yellow fabric clinging to a low-hanging branch of a small tree. It was the same unmistakable yellow fabric that made up his wife's dress. He ran up to it and examined it closely, making sure it was what he thought it was. He looked around, feeling that he might find her after all, hoping that she might still be alive. A little further still, he found her picnic basket resting neatly on a stump. Upon seeing this, he approached with caution and curiosity. He looked inside, only to see a single red apple. He reached for the handle of the basket, but decided it was best to leave it in its place. He looked to his left, his right, up and down, and saw nothing of interest. He turned around and looked back the way he came, and saw Beatrice laying face down on the blanket she had taken with her. The forest was playing with him. She was not there before. Obviously, he would have seen her if she was. Wouldn't he? He ran to her, but before he could get close enough to touch her, a long woody vine shot from the ground and wrapped around his waist. It lifted him several feet off the ground as it grew tighter and tighter. Soon his legs were bound by another vine, and then his arms and chest. Before he knew it, he was almost completely encased in vines. His face was the only part of his body left uncovered, but was held in place and pointed directly at Beatrice's lifeless body. He watched as she woke up, disoriented and looking around in confusion. He yelled out to her, and she turned to look at him. As she opened her mouth to greet him, she too was overtaken by earthy vines, wrapping around her head, leaving just her eyes exposed. Nicholas watched as they filled with fear. He listened as her muffled screams fell silent with a loud crack. Nicholas had no choice but to watch as the love of his life was pulled into the ground, head first, before disappearing completely. The ground left no sign of her ever being there, and the blanket blew away, leaving no sign of life whatsoever. Beatrice, he cried. Beatrice. Tears filled his eyes as he desperately tried to break free, but found himself unable. Why? Why? He began sobbing uncontrollably. His cries stopped in a hopeful silence as a single hand reached up through the forest's dirt floor, followed by another. Beatrice, he whispered. The hands frantically clawed at the ground as they lifted the beautiful Beatrice up from beneath the earth's surface. She was covered in dirt and mud from her earthy grave. Her hair was matted and littered with small sticks and leaves, and her face was bloodied and bruised. Nicholas, 
she cried out, as she looked all around for him, but never at him. Nicholas, have you come to save me? I will save you, Beatrice. I will not let any more harm come to you. I promise. She turned her eyes to Nicholas, but they were no longer those he had fallen so deeply in love with. No longer were they full of love. No longer were they full of life. There is no saving me now, she said softly. <laughs> what? quietly replied Nicholas. There is no saving her now, said Beatrice. There is no salvation for this woman. She screamed as she raised her hands to her face. Beatrice, cried Nicholas as he watched in horror as the love of his life began to rip the flesh from her face. She screamed and wailed as her fingernails tore through her soft skin. More blood flowed out of every wound than thought humanly possible, gushing and spurting, flowing down her face and her body until it formed a pool around her naked feet. Nicholas tried to look away, but the vines that encased his body kept his eyes fixed on the violence. He tried to close them, but smaller vines sprouted out on both sides of his face and worked their way under his eyelids, forcing them open. Stop! he cried, but it was no use. Stop this madness! Beatrice, with what was left of her face, looked up at him. She reached down and proceeded to rip through her yellow dress, and dig into her stomach. The pool of blood at her feet continued to get deeper, as everything that once existed inside of her spilled out onto the forest floor. Please stop this. Please, please, God, please stop. She stopped and looked up slowly meeting his gaze one last time before collapsing into a bloody mess. It remained silent, save for the cries and sobs of Nicholas for several minutes. He watched as a hand reached out of the remains of Beatrice's disemboweled body, followed by another. This time, he remained silent, as they lifted a young woman from the vile mess on the ground. She was naked, and covered in blood and gore, for obvious reasons. She had long hair that ran from the top of her head down to her pelvis, that stuck to her body in dark red clumps. Her eyes were cold and piercing. Her figure was flawless and perfectly constructed. 
if not for being a red mess. She would have been astonishingly beautiful. She approached Nicholas and looked up at him with a smile. You can let him down now, she said, not breaking eye contact with him. The vines gently set him down and unwound from around his body. He collapsed, desperately gasping for air, now that his lungs were once again free to breathe naturally. Why is this happening? He asked somberly, looking up at the woman. Beatrice stole something from this forest, she replied sternly. An apple? He remembered from the picnic basket. Is this all? For a damned apple? He could not believe this kind of torture or pain could be brought on by something so trivial as the taking of a simple apple. Yeah, I know, she replied in a faux sympathetic voice. Seems kind of silly, doesn't it? But silly or not, it does not change the fact that it was not hers to take. Nicholas looked to the ground, then over to the stump with the basket still sitting on top of it. The punishment does not fit the crime. Does not fit the crime. The punishment asked the woman. Trust me, the punishment would have been much more severe if it was not for me. Your wife is lucky I happened to be around. These trees would have shown much less mercy than I. Mercy? What mercy is this? What do you know of mercy? He stayed down, watching as the pool of blood crept closer and closer to his hands. He looked at what remained of Beatrice and watched as she sank back into the ground, being returned to the earth. It was out of mercy that I did not let the trees kill her. Mercy that she now lives in a much better place than you could ever provide. Mercy that she was not devoured and turned into one of these wretched plants. It was mercy that I let her see you one last time. The woman knelt down and looked him in the eyes. A slight grin stretched across her face as she placed a hand on the side of his head. A hand with a finger 
on which a shimmering silver ring rested. I would watch my tone if I were you. Nicholas looked at her. His eyes showed no fear. Only anger. He bit his lower lip as saliva formed in his mouth. He took a deep breath before forcing the spit out, hitting the witch between the eyes. She calmly wiped her face with a single hand and laughed. She grabbed him by the throat and raised him to his feet as she raised herself. Nicholas, she said sympathetically. She moved her head closer to his, their lips almost touching. You really shouldn't have done that. Pulling him to her with one hand, she placed his mouth to her own. He fought hard for several minutes before succumbing. A coldness washed over his entire body as the blood that covered her lips pressed against his. It started within his heart and spread through his veins. He became numb as he pulled her body closer to his own. As he raised a hand to embrace the back of her head, he saw that it was no longer flesh and bone. It was instead polished metal. His eyes widened as he saw in the reflection of his new hand, his head turning into the same polished metal. He began to fight and push away as the succubus, now known as Mombi the Wicked, dropped him to the ground with a loud clang. Without getting up, Nicholas looked over his body. His arms, legs, torso. Everything was metal. This is your fate now, Nicholas, said Mombi with a chuckle. Three hundred years in that metal chassis. And when that time is up, you can pick up right where you left off. A lonely, broken, middle-aged man with a long life ahead of you. Nicholas said nothing for the moment. He only looked up at his new nemesis, as storm clouds began to roll into the sky above. I would get back home if I were you, said Mombi. Wouldn't want to rust. Thunder rolled from one end of the sky to the other, as Nicholas clambered to his feet. As the rain started to fall, a small drop hit his arm, instantly leaving a spot of bright orange rust. He could still feel pain, and the burning sensation of the rain eating away at him was excruciating. This is not the last you have seen of me, he said, not moving, the rain falling all around him. I will save my wife, even if it means your death. The witch just looked at him and laughed as she vanished into thin air. Nicholas turned back and ran, 
narrowly escaping as the heavy rain began to fall harder and harder behind him. He came to the picnic basket and stopped momentarily. Once again, he decided against picking it up or even touching it. Instead, he left it there, a lonely reminder of where he lost his heart. A small, wicker gravestone to rest forever in the lonely depths of the forest. He made it out of the woods and into the house, just as the storm hit its peak. He sat down at the kitchen table and stared out the window. He sat like this for the first eighty years of his life as the tin woodman. As the anger welled up inside of him, he refused to go on. He watched the seasons change, the days pass, and the nights coming and going. With not even a third of his time served, he finally got up from his table and dusted himself off. He went out behind the cabin, where the large blue-bell oleanders bloomed every spring, their giant leaves oily and slick. He picked one and placed it to his shoulder and rubbed it. It eased the squeaking of his joints to the point that they were nearly silent. He picked every leaf from every flower and used them to create a thick oil which filled a small oil can. He went to his workshop and grabbed a small wire brush and painfully brushed away the small spots of rust from the first night's rain so long ago. He walked over to the foot-pedaled grinding wheel and pedaled furiously. Placing his fingertips to the coarse stone, he proceeded to grind each to a fine point. This made the wire brush feel like a slight tickle by comparison. He honed the blade of his axe to the point that it could literally split even the finest of hairs. He took every piece of iron he could find and forged heavy claws, which he melded to his own metal feet. They would make his steps louder and heavier, but he knew that over time he would grow accustomed to the added weight. He was ready for his revenge. The tin woodman ventured back into the forest in search of the witch. He spent the next twenty years hacking his way through the trees, torturing them for information on how to find her. But no matter how many he killed, maimed, chopped, or cut, none of them could give him adequate direction. All they knew was that she was locked away in the gray fields a place entirely unheard of by the woodman. However, none of them knew how to reach the fields. They were trees. They only knew the land in which they grew, and nothing more. This did not stop our current protagonist from trying, though. He never saw Mombi the Wicked again. He did, however, come across a talking scarecrow and a young woman wearing a brilliant, shimmering silver ring. <laughs>